Let's start our evening tonight. Uh, tonight's topic, if you haven't read on your sheet already, is hell real? So as we were coming in, uh, Henry Coble had said to me, you know, what are you teaching on? I said, well, is hell real? And he said, well, you taught a couple weeks ago the Bible's true, so now that we know the Bible's true, the Bible tells us the hell's real, then it, it's settled, we can go home. So <laughs> if you're good, I'm good, we'll see you later. Easiest lesson I've ever taught. So, <laughs> but that is, uh, that is a little bit of the argument. That is, the Bible talks a lot about it, so this is where we get our information about hell. Uh, and that what brings up the question to a lot of people, is, is hell real? You have a lot of atheists out there and a lot of people who believe you just die and take a dirt nap. It's over. Um, the problem is the Bible speaks against that. Uh, it doesn't say that. It says the opposite. It says... We all live once, and then we die once, and then there's a judgment. Um, And then there's a judgment, and then there's a a dividing of the sheep and the goats. And ones go to eternal life, and ones go to eternal punishment. Uh, The Bible's clear on those subjects. And so this is what we have to deal with. Now, this is not an easy topic. If if we got to pick our topics uh, as the pastoral staff, uh, this would not be the one that I would choose to teach on. Not because I don't have the information, it's just a heavy, heavy topic. And every one of us is affected in some way by this topic. We all know people we love, we care about, um, that are, some are facing this reality, um, and some we may feel are in this reality at some level. And I hate to say that, but we all feel that weight. This is why it's a weighty, weighty subject. And I hope my intention tonight is to deal with it biblically, to talk to you about hell, to do it um, with seriousness and with weightiness. But in the end result, I would hope that you would be compelled to share the gospel and that we could spread the message of hope and that fewer people would spend time in hell and more people would spend time in heaven. That would be the ultimate goal. So let me pray and then I will start. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for a church who loves your word, who worships holy, a holy God. We thank you for people who desire the truth, who desire a deep study of your word and your doctrine and theology, that we're not afraid of the hard topics. God, I pray that you'd help us tonight to be serious about this this topic, that the matters of hell would weigh heavy on us, that we would be compelled to share the gospel to all those that we come in contact with, that we would be more uh, more fervent in our desire to see people come to know Christ as their Savior as a result of tonight's study. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so uh, Pastor Clint taught this uh, lesson a little while ago at uh, main campus. And so what I did, you know, usually we kind of put our own spin to it, but in an effort to stay like uniform and have some continuity with all these lessons, especially when it comes to doctrine, I am basically regurgitating everything that Clint said. Now, there will be times where I go on my own, okay? I like to say things a different way than he does. He's more eloquent. And for nine minutes, he reads in the very opening of the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of Angry God, by Jonathan Edwards. If you've ever heard that or have you ever seen that, you should get it. You can read it. It's a, 
It's a compelling sermon. Uh, it changed a culture. It was basically the start of uh, one of the Great Awakenings. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful, wonderful sermon. You should read it. It is one that people, they say when he read that sermon, because he read his sermons, he read his manuscripts, he was apparently he was kind of monotone and boring, but when he read that sermon, they, they said people were holding on to the pews because they were scared they were going to fall into hell. This is how, this is how it impacted people in such a, a massive way. So, and it's still around. People read it all the time. Max McLean actually has a recording of him reading it, which is probably really, he's the guy that, you know, you, if you listen to the Bible anywhere, that's the guy. So he's, he's done a recording of it. So you could find that somewhere on YouTube or Google somewhere and listen to it yourself. Because I would encourage you to do that. So tonight, let me introduce you to uh, a little bit of introduction to hell. So let's go through here. And what we'll do is we'll read the scriptures, we'll talk about it, um, and we'll try to get out just a little bit earlier than normal. Is that good? All right. So introduction to hell. Um, first of all, everyone will exist eternally in heaven or in hell. John 5, 28. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Whether you're dead or alive, you will hear the voice of of the Lord, meaning that you will exist forever. You are created, and you are spirit, soul, body. Your soul will live forever. Your body will be resurrected. You will live in eternal state of heaven, or you will live in eternal state of punishment, and a conscious punishment. So we will live forever. Your body will, you will live forever. Everyone will. Everyone will exist eternally in heaven or in hell. Matthew 25, uh, 46 is, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So you will either go into eternal punishment or eternal life. And that eternal punishment is ongoing. We'll talk about why that is in just a moment, but as we get to it. This is just introductory and some notes, and then we'll kind of talk about some specifics in a moment. Everyone has only one life. And one chance. Hebrews 9.27 says, And just as it is appointed for, for man once to die, and after that comes the judgment. We have one life. We have one life to live. And then we have, we'll die. And then we'll face the judgment. And you'll either be judged on your own sin by yourself, or you'll be judged based on the righteousness of Christ and His payment on the cross. For your sin. See, hell was originally designed for Satan and his demons. Matthew 25, 41 says this. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So hell was originally designed for Satan and his demons. Revelation 20, 10 says, And the devil who had deceived them, was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. It's a place of eternal conscious punishment. Revelation 14, 11. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest 
day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. No rest, fully conscious of this torment. This should uh, weigh on us a little bit as we read it. It's not an easy topic to go through, but something we uh, must do. We must understand it. Hell is experienced by the whole person. It's the whole person, body and soul. Matthew 29, or Matthew 5, 29 through 30 says this. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. See the comparison here? And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Meaning this, it's better that you have temporary loss of limb, temporary loss of members of your body than an eternal torment of your whole body in hell. This is the point of the passage. So your whole body is being tormented, body and soul. In fact, Matthew 10, 28, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Is there, am I, are we all good on the same? Everybody follow me on your sheets? Okay. I think we are on F. <clears throat> now, I'll talk a little bit about this. Hell has fire. Now, there's some people that don't think that the, there's actual flame. Even some people that you respect in the theological worlds. They say, well, I don't know if there's actual flames because there's a lake and there's, how do you burn a lake? And well, who knows if it's like a lake of flames? Uh, is, it, is, it a, is it an actual body of la- water or lava? Um, you know, none of us have been there, so we're not sure. Here's what we can know. Like, I, I do think that it's flame, but here's what I know. If it's not flame, the language is trying to communicate something terrible. So if it's not flame, it's, it's worse. It's the best we can get, closest we can get to, to communicate this torment of flame. I mean, imagine being tormented in flames forever. This does not sound fun. I mean, you get burnt by a, a pot on the, on the stove. It doesn't take you long. Man, it hurts. You want to put cold water on it for 15 minutes? Like you can walk around the house moping. I burn my finger. Burning is not fun. It's painful and it's terrible. But hell has fire. Matthew 5.22 says this, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. There's fire. Mark 9.48 Where the worm does not die. Or like the King James says, Where the worm dieth not. It's just better in the King James. I'm sorry. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Man, it's, a, it's clear that there is fire. And if it's not actual flame, 
What is it? It's meaning there's, there's language here that's trying to communicate worse. Like it, it's just, it's terrible. You don't want to be there. Like in James 3, 6 says, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. There's obviously the tongue's not literally fire, but it's something worse. It can be worse than fire. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of our life, and set on fire by hell. So this is not a good place to be. It is not a, a relaxing vacation. It's not what you... It's not Dante's Inferno. It's not what people picture on Disney where you got Satan with a pitchfork and horns and he's in a red suit and he's pitching a, a party for everybody that's not Christian and they're having a blast and having getting drunk and doing all the things that youth that this world thinks is fun and everybody in heaven's boring. That's not what's going on. Satan doesn't rule hell. It was created for his torment. It's not created for him to rule. He's not, he doesn't have a clipboard and a list going, yep, you're mine. He's being tormented along with you. Not you. Those. Hopefully not. If 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 it's you, then we need to talk real quick. Repent of your sin. Put your faith in Jesus. Let's get on the road to heaven. All right. Sorry. Hell is a lake of fire. Revelation 19.20. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. So that lake of fire does burn. So do that what you want. Hell is also a bottomless pit. Revelation 21 says this, Then I saw the angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. Like I, I heard a sermon one time, and it was about hell, and it was a, uh, one of my favorite preachers that nobody knows about. He preaches in Waycross, Georgia, which probably none of you have ever heard of. It's a very small town in rural Georgia, uh, right before you get to Florida. So maybe you've passed through it and you got a speeding ticket, but that's about it. But he began to teach uh, on this, this lesson hell. He gave an image of hell, and he talked about all the different descriptors in the scripture about hell. And it's, it's basically this never-ending tumbling in a bottomless pit of flames and torture and worms that never die and all the things that are going on. It's completely dark, yet there's flames, yet there's a lake, yet it's bottomless. And I got this image in my mind of, Continually falling. You ever been in a dream where you just kept falling and falling and falling? It's one, hell would be one that would, you would never wake up from. The bottomless pit. And then hell comes after judgment. You're judged and then the punishment. Hell is the punishment. There's a, a, a parable that I'm going to read here. Matthew 25, um, 30 through 40. We'll just... Read through uh, 40 here. I can read 41 too. So anyway, verse 30 says this, And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, in that place where the weeping and gnashing of teeth 
I want you to, when you do your Bible reading from now on, I want you to just take notice of every time you hear the term weeping and gnashing of teeth. There are other times that this is used. And it's used around anger and frustration and anguish, all kind of things. So just think about that later on. We'll talk about it. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory, verse 31, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people on one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Think wheat and tares. Verse 33, And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on His left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the the least of these, my brothers, you did to me. And then verse 41, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So you have the judgment of your life. There's a judgment. You're a sheep or you're a goat. And then there's the punishment. And then there's a reason for hell. One of the most famous verses that we publish everywhere as Christians is John 3.16. It's really wonderful when you read it by itself, but let's read it in context for just a second. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Now, pay attention. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned when? Already. You are already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. By default, the default position of all humans is your destination is hell. You're on your way. That's the default condition of all humans is that we are on our way. We are people that are on our way to hell. And unless God intervenes in his grace and his mercy through the message of the gospel, and we repent and place our faith in Him, we will not enter the kingdom of heaven. We will go to where we're already headed. God has to take us off the road to hell and on the road to heaven. He has to do that. So, Jesus speaks about hell more than any other person in the Scriptures. And so let's talk a little bit about what He says about hell. Best place for us to do that is in Luke 16, uh, 19 through 31. Uh, this is the parable of the rich man of Lazarus. Let's read this whole thing, and then I'll go back through it just a little bit. Uh, just pick out a couple things. Not a ton, but just a few things. We'll, we'll kind of go through it. But as you read this, just be thinking. 
So there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with, that, with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, you got to remember, like, dogs in, in that day and age and in that area of the world aren't looked at the way you look at dogs. You know, you have your dog in your house. You, have, you, know, you put them in your beds. We have, them, we have special houses made for them. We have special things. We take care of our dogs. You know, we pay bukus of money for vets. I don't know what dogs did before vets existed. I don't know how they survived all these years without a vet. I'm sorry. If you're a vet, I apologize. But it's a little bit of a racket, if you ask me. They're dogs. They'll figure it out. <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry. Anyway, in that day and age, in that culture, dogs were not looked at very good at all. They're almost like rats. Like they're just terrible people, mangy and awful. Not people. Animals. So they weren't looked at good. And so these dogs come and licked on his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And Verse 23, And in Hades, being, tor- being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Now that might be, that might be one of the most terrible things about hell. Is that I can see, or that the rich man could see, it never talks about Lazarus being able to see. And this great chasm is fixed, but he could see. It's almost he could hear. Not Lazarus. Verse 24, And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Still the servant to him. Right? Yeah, send that boy Lazarus to me. Still arrogant, still prideful, still. Like that's the one thing about hell we we don't always talk about. You know, in heaven, we're absent from, or we're we're absent from the presence of what? Sin. Sin is no longer in heaven. But sin stays. Sin is still present in hell. And it's present forever. This is why there's eternal torment. It's going on and ongoing forever. Because you never come out of sin. And your judgment is still there. It's a righteous judgment. And so you're still paying for the judgment, uh, staying for the sin that you're committing while you're in hell. It's a forever terrible cycle. Sorry, I shouldn't stop every five seconds, but I apologize. He called out, Father, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Verse 25, but Abraham said, Child, remember that you... In your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and that none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him or send him to my father's house. Speaking of Lazarus, verse 28, for I have five brothers so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father, 
But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convicted or convinced, I'm sorry, if someone should rise from the dead. Well, someone did rise from the dead. In our day and age, and there's people that aren't convinced. Now, these people that are alive are not finally and fatally destined for hell. They still have time to repent. And we want them to repent. We don't need anything special. We have all we need right here in the Word of God. This is all we need. We don't need someone to come again. We don't need anything else. We have Moses and the prophets. We have the writings of the Word of God. This is what we have, and we don't need anything more. We have the Scriptures, the true Word of God. To know how to repent. To know the truth about Jesus. and To know the truth about who we should put our faith in, the cross of Calvary. This is what we know. We also know that, A, there is a great chasm fixed. This, uh, this lets us know you can't pass from one to the other. You can't go, you don't get a second chance, you get one life. You get one life. And after death, there's judgment and then the punishment. B, there's no return. So there's a great chasm fixed. And then in that same verse, 26, none may cross from there to us. You're not able to. Now this, so if you're, if you're in the place of torment, you can't cross over. You can't go uh, to Abraham's bosom. You can't go from one place to the other. This is what we call the, the purgatory killer. Like, you know, there's a Catholic doctrine of purgatory. Well, you know, you, know, you go to a refining place and you, you have people pray for you and you get refined by whatever and you get better and better until you're able to go to heaven. Well, this would suggest that there's no possible way to get from one place to the other. There's this great chasm. It's fixed. It is set in stone. It cannot be moved. It will not be changed. It is broke. It is bound forever. You can't cross over. There's not a way over this chasm. You can't move from one place to the other. So there's no return. No return here and no place you can go from there to heaven. It's eternal torment. Matthew 25, 46 already told us this. We already read that passage. We already read that scripture where some will go to eternal punishment and others will go to eternal life. He's in torment. Luke 16, 23, he is in torment. He's being in torment in Hades. He's lifting up his eyes. He's talking to Abraham far off, far off, way, way, way away. He sees Lazarus. And he's like, just bring me some comfort. I just dip his finger in water. This is how much torment he's in. I just, just dip. Like, don't bring me the whole glass. I just need you to dip your finger in water and then touch my tongue. There's a great separation. The Bible says in verses 31, chapter, Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through 46, and I'll stop around 41 or so. <clears throat> but the Bible tells us this. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all His angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. 
And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you by the, from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the right, righteous will answer him, When? Did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when do we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer, truly I say to you, as you did to the one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they all will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it, to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I just wanted you to hear that whole thing in context. There's this great separation from the righteous and the unrighteous. It is a vast and great separation. It is eternal separation. There are people that are in Christ, and there are people that are not in Christ. We want all people to come to Christ. We want the message to be and to compel all those to know Christ. But there will be those that reject. We know this. Our desire is for them to repent and to be in Christ. But there's a difference. This is a reason why we don't, we, we, what's called fence the table at the Lord's uh, Supper. We don't want non-believers to partake of the Lord's Supper. It's, it's special for the believers, those who are in Christ, to take to partake of the Lord's Supper. It's a reminder that there's people who are not in Christ. So there's a great separation. There's an unquenchable fire. Unquenchable fire. Mark 9, 43. And if your hand causes you sin and cut off, it's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to. The unquenchable fire. This fire never goes out. It's where the worm doesn't die. Mark 9, 48, the worm dieth not. I've already read that to you. Like the maggots don't quit boring into the flesh. There's anguish and regret. Matthew 13, 36-43. Then he left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came with him. Saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, the one who sows the good seed in the Son of Man, the field is the world, and the good seed is the son of, sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father who has ears, let him hear. Verse 42 is what I want you to pay attention to, the weeping 
and gnashing of teeth. There will be regret and anguish. There will be anger and frustration. There will be, the Lord will be present in hell. There's a lot of people say God's not present in hell. He is. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He won't be present in His grace or mercy. It will only be present in His judgment. It will be different than He's what is present in heaven. He will be present there. His presence there will not be liked. There will be gnashing of teeth. People will hate His presence, and if they could vote someone out of hell, they would vote God out because it is His wrath they are suffering. It's likened to Gehenna. Matthew 10, 28, this is what hell is like. <clears throat> Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who kill the body and cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body. Gehenna is like a garbage dump. It was in this this valley and this place where they would take dead bodies and dead carcasses and they would take all their dump, uh, all their stuff. And in the Old Testament, it was where the kings, the, the vile kings would sacrifice their own children to Molech. This is the place where they would do this. This is a, a fire that's always burning. And so this is a, a literal place in that area. And he was pointing to, he's liking it to Gehenna. This is the place of death and dread and stench and sickness. This is a place of evil, where evil has taken place. He likened it to Gehenna. That was H, by the way. Some of you may not be I, I, going fast, I guess. I. I is the just punishment for sin. I'll get, pick up the pace a little bit. Matthew 5, 22. <clears throat> It says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. It's a just punishment. You're getting exactly what you deserve. I don't want you to think, when you think about hell, a lot of people think about it in a sense of, well, it's just constant overkill. This is this torturous terrible behavior from people towards someone and it's it's more than they deserve it's not more than you deserve it's exactly precisely what the person deserves Jeffrey Dahmer there's a documentary about Jeffrey Dahmer not too long ago he killed I don't know how many people tens of 20 or so a dozen or more I don't know how many but a lot of people killed him and ate him they gave him several life sentences I don't know 10 or so life sentences He can't serve but one life here. We can't dish out proper justice to a man. We can't do that. But God can. He can dish out proper justice. The exact right amount. Not more, not less. Precisely the right amount of just. And it's just punishment. He's not creating evil in men. Men are evil. And he's punishing them for their sin that they deserve. Hell will be populated. Jay, Matthew 22, really uh, 12 and 14 are really the verses I'll read to you. 12 says, And he said to them, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. 
And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Remember, he goes out into the hedges and highways and invites all these people. And Some people try to get in the wrong way. You, you, you can't get in any other way. There's only one way to heaven, and it's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. There's no other way. So hell will be populated. We know this, right? Wide is the gate of destruction. Narrow is the path of righteousness. All right, so how do you avoid hell? I need to really pick this up. So 1 Thessalonians 1.10 tells us this. And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. You avoid hell because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. His propitiation for you and for me. That's turning the wrath of God away. First time I ever heard this statement, it took me, it shocked me a little bit, took me by surprise. Uh, a theologian asked this question, who, who are you saved from? We, we use the term in church, I'm saved. Who are you saved from? The answer to that question might shock you, is you're saved from God. You're saved from God. It's His wrath that's being poured out. You, the devil's not down there checking people in. It's not his hell. It's prepared for him. But the wrath of God, it's God's wrath. And what makes the cross so wonderful is that Jesus took the wrath of God on your behalf, on himself. He was our substitute. Look look at Isaiah 53. Let's just look at 5 and 6. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. That's not talking about Him going to the hospital. That's not talking about Benny Hinn crusades. That's not talking about being healed from sickness. That's talking about healed from your sin, from the wrath of God. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He's our substitute. Christ satisfied the wrath of God on behalf of sinners. Christ satisfied the wrath of God on behalf of sinners. He was our substitute. The wrath of God is on Jesus, not on you. That's why you can stand in the presence of God. Not because you've done anything good, not because you have any righteousness, because you stand under the righteousness of Christ. You are covered by the blood. That's why when you sing that song, it should be special. First John tells us that the love of God. First John 4:10. It says, In this love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That means that He appeased God's wrath on your behalf. He's the one that took the sin. So no longer, He's no longer angry at you. The sermon that we talked about in the very beginning, sinners in the hands of an angry God, God is no longer angry at you because of the work of of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. 
He loves you. John 3.16 Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Faith. You avoid hell because of your faith. In Christ alone. Not in anything else, not in your works, but in Christ alone. All right, I don't know if we have enough time to go through all these. Uh, Let me pick a couple. Uh, The immensity of evil. Lessons from hell. We are all totally depraved. There's total depravity, meaning that we are all tainted with sin. Every part of our being is tainted. It's corrupted in some way. You, You weren't born in neutral, right? You were born with a bend or an inclination towards evil. If you have kids or grandkids or you've seen kids, you know nobody ever sat them down and taught them how to lie or cheat or be selfish. It was born in them. They came with it ingrained. I've never had to teach my kids to do wrong. I've had to constantly teach them to do right because they're bent towards evil. We all have that. We all have even our goodness, even our good righteous deeds in our lives are filthy because they're tainted with evil. There's a danger. There's a danger in us rebelling against God. This reminds us to not rebel, to obey. Hell reminds us to obey God. There's peril that people are in. This reminds us of God's grace. Man, think about God's grace to you. Why do you why do you deserve to go to heaven? Why did you deserve to hear the message of the gospel? You, you don't. It's God's grace. It's a kindness. This should cause urgency in evangelism. This should compel us to share the gospel with all that we come in contact with, especially those we love. It should drive us to our knees and pray a cry out to God in prayer. It reminds us of God's perfect holiness. You think about hell. Why is hell so eternal? Why is it forever? God's holiness is forever. God's holiness is pure. It's perfect. His holiness is absolute There is nothing in it that is tainted at all. You need to be the significance of grace, humble as recipients of God's grace. H, it should should cause us to be grateful. There should be gratitude in our hearts. There should be a thankfulness that we live with every single day. We should have compassion on people. Romans 9, it's a reminder that Paul had great compassion And Paul says that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Remember, he says, I will give up. If I could give up this for the sake of those. And there's justice. God is the just and justifier of those who put faith in Christ. And we see this Put your faith in Christ alone, nothing else. We see God's holiness is maintained in this, in His justice. His justice is intact. His mercy is poured out on sinners, and His love is revealed. This is what hell teaches us about Christ and about God. Let me pray and let you out. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your grace that you have given us. Lord, let it, let it set different on us tonight. Let us think about it in a little bit different way tonight than we have in a long time. 
I do not deserve your grace. I do not deserve your mercy, yet you've extended it to me. I pray, Lord, that I would be more bold. I would be more compelled to share the gospel than ever before. That I would begin to have a burden to share the truth, especially to those I love and especially to those that you bring in my path and give me opportunity. Let me recognize those opportunities. Let me not shy away. Let me be bold and share the gospel. Let this realization of hell, hell, the reality of hell, cause me to be more grateful in my life and to be more bold in my proclamation of the gospel. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.